Hey there, it's Mike Tramp, and you're listening to White Lion Fever, where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been, and it always will be. Welcome to White Line Fever, episode 82. Uh, I've got a broken computer. I started editing uh, the podcast in an internet cafe here in Manchester, and I realised that um, there was no first segment. There was no introduction. So here we are. We're at uh, Hotel Sport right next to uh, uh, Old Trafford, and we're just about to launch the England-New Zealand Test Series, and I'm here with uh, the great Stuart Pike from the BBC and any number of other outlets. How are you, Stuart? Good, good, good. Good to see you. I, I, I can't believe that you've turned up here. But look, I don't know if, if you ever had the, the programme down under. It's, a, it's an antiques programme called Lovejoy, <laughs> featuring Ian McShane. It was legendary over here, and he sort of he had a beard and long black hair, and he wore a black leather jacket, and he was a bit of a chaser, you know. He was a, a bit of a That's, con artist, so oh, yeah. if, 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 if the book fits. I am a victim of con artists, but the reason I'm wearing the leather jacket is because I've got two jackets with me. One's a nice big overcoat, and one's a leather jacket, which I bought here about 10 years ago and I, basically with me I have to choose which one would I rather lose so I carry the one that I would rather lose that's that's the only reason I'm wearing it but uh, um, the, the, now I believe now most of the listeners will be hearing this after this weekend's game so we're not going to focus on that but I believe you are calling a very 11th hour deal or was it for uh, Premier Sports to, co- to broadcast Leeds and New Zealand uh, very much an 11th hour deal got a call uh, 48 hours before the game uh, I think it sort of Leeds have been very much involved with it and also the Kiwis because they wanted it broadcast on Sky Sport back in, in New Zealand. So, yep, uh, Leeds against New Zealand. Yestin Harris, former dual code international, former Wales coach, former Salford coach, former this, that and the other, ex this, that and the other. He, he's joining me in commentary. So, uh, yeah, all good. The more league on telly, the better, of course. Exactly. Let's talk about the Test Series. Does, does English Rugby League have a lot to gain from winning this series? And not much to lose, really, because I guess if they don't go well, it won't capture the imagination of the mainstream. But if they do do well, suddenly with the rugby union team having gone poorly, it could really be a a boom for the game. Not too much milk was spilt when England rugby union (laughs) lost, I can tell you. But I think think it's an important series. I mean, it's important for New Zealand as well. And don't forget, I mean, New Zealand, number one in the world, but they've come out here without so many big stars. I think... think, uh, I was reading that uh, there's only a quarter of the team that won the Anzac Test uh, against Australia and Brisbane who are, who are out here on this tour. But it still looks really, really strong. I think we're all hoping, I mean, from the BBC's point of view, the final test match is on National Radio 5. So we're all hoping that it's one all going to Wigan in a couple of weeks. But I think for England, huge. For Steve McNamara, huge. I mean, he held on to his job probably by his fingernails after the after losing the World Cup and then uh, the Four Nations disappointment. So it's a huge series for, for Matt Mamara if he wants to stay coach of England. I'm absolutely certain. What's your involvement going to be? What are you, what are you, uh, you calling all three games? No, I'm only doing the last one. I'm, I'm trying to juggle. You know, just like you, I'm a media whore, Steve. <laughs> so uh, the first two test matches, I'm actually doing darts commentary um, in Belgium. Uh, for the Euro- <laughs> for the European Championship for ITV, and then the following weekend 
when the test match is in London I'm doing darts for Sky in the Midlands but I asked them if I could have a day off to do the final test match for the BBC and you get regular trips to Oz with the darts don't you well back there next August the World Series of Darts absolutely huge last year in Perth Sydney and then Auckland sold out every night nine nights of dart absolutely sold out they're mad for it we're looking for a new venue in Sydney because uh, the Qantas Arena is coming down of course but Cold Chisel uh, are closing it well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, no, I thought Elton John. Did you John, see them at the I thought, I thought, oh, you're right, I thought yeah. John was closing. Okay, okay. Yeah, but I think the darts probably closed it after, <laughs> yeah. after we had you know, 20 pints each on the night. But yeah, absolutely <laughs> huge, absolutely huge. The darts. So it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. In Auckland, they sold out three nights, 5,000 people a night inside a day. So. Mm. Before we go, what can you tell us about this place? It's owned by a couple of Manu's finest, isn't it? This yeah, hotel. hotel football, right in the shadow of Old Trafford, where, of course, a couple of weeks ago we saw one of the best grand finals. It couldn't match the drama in, in Sydney with North Queensland beating Brisbane, but ours was pretty good. Yeah, Hotel Football owned by Gary Neville and Ryan Giggs. They're also opening uh, a boutique hotel uh, in the centre of Manchester and they also, along with Nicky Button and Paul Scholes, the class of 92 it's called, the Man United stars uh, of the past, they own Salford City Football Club which is slowly but surely going through the ranks of English football I think there are about seven divisions off the Premier League but they've poured a load of money into a local football team uh, to try and get that going so they've got their fingers in lots of pies but hotel football is, well, it's perfectly placed it's a guaranteed sellout every two weeks, isn't it? It's, it's 50 yards from Old Trafford but, um, yeah, true businessmen as well as good football players Yeah, that would be great if they could get involved in helping out Rugby League Thanks for joining us, Pike We'll see you during the series as most of the listeners will be aware I go to a few gigs while I'm here as well and the first one I saw when I landed was Michael Monroe here's a new song from him Vaseline in your
Michael Monroe here for White Line Fever. You get a chance, come and check us out live. We're going to rock your socks off and whatever, rock like fuck. That's what I say, okay? <laughs> come on down and rock on. Welcome back to the program. And our very, very special guest is uh, Keith Nelson from Buck Cherry. How are you, Keith? I'm good, man. What's going on down there? Yeah, we're just trying to stay warm. Actually, we do have winter here. People don't think we do, but it does get cold occasionally. Um, I am uh, really, in, uh, for me, it's like your new album's called Rock and Roll, but for me, it's good that you put out an album because I thought after you did that EP, you might be doing that from now on. You know, you might be just putting out a song at a time or an EP at a time. So um, that was never the plan, though, I guess. No, I mean, the EP was really just done for fun. And, I, you know, we're, we're talking about doing a few more here and there. But we still believe in the full-length record. Right. Don't yeah. you worry about that. <laughs> and that actually ties into the whole rock and roll is dead thing, isn't it? Because I, I just kind of, I wonder, when Gene Simmons says rock and roll is dead, does he mean as an art form or does he just mean commercially, as a business? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the biggest selling music right now in the United States is not rock and roll. So it's easy to jump on the bandwagon and say it's over but I mean we go out and we play every night mm. to hundreds if not thousands of people who firmly believe that rock and roll is alive and well Yeah, and so I don't care what anyone has to say about it so the title of the album's a um, bit of a mission statement is it? I think so you know we didn't come up with the title until the record was done and it was people such as the gentleman you mentioned before saying that rock is dead and that kind of prevailing thought in the, you know, which is totally contrary to what we're actually living. Mm. Um, that made us go, yeah, let's fucking call it the record rock and roll. No one else will. Yeah. that And it's such a change of pace from confessions, isn't it? Because it's more, it's more fun. I guess confessions is quite a serious record. Yeah, Confessions was really serious, and we kind of, you know, looking back, maybe we reacted to it a little bit by doing the fuck record, very irreverent, and just like, let's do whatever the fuck we want to do. Um, and this is more like, let's write the, you know, let's write the best songs. They don't have to be about any kind of common theme. Let's just do what we do. Let's write songs, let's play them, let's have some fun, and see what happens. Right. Maybe that's how we ended up with Rock and Roll. Okay, and what are your what are your touring plans, Keith? Um, obviously, although I'm hoping people are listening to us everywhere. I'm in Australia, so I'm keen to know if you're coming here. Uh, we are definitely going to be pounding the United States and Europe and Canada from now to the end of the year, mm. and hopefully, fingers crossed, getting back down under to Australia uh, in 2016. Awesome, awesome. Well, I did uh, warn you that uh, we're going to uh, play a song every now and then. Uh, so, uh, do you have do you have one for us, Keith? The first song of the interview. Why don't you Why don't you play the madness off of the new record? Can you tell us a bit about the inspiration behind it? I've had one. I've only had time to have one listen to the whole album. So, yeah. Uh, well, musically, it was just um, I wanted to have a song that was like three different personalities in one song. You know like a punk part, more of a wide open chorus kind of thing. And uh, in the heavy part, which is what the verses would be in the, in the intro. And I came up with that music and I sent it over to Josh 
and he came up with uh, those lyrics, which I do believe, I can't speak for the man, but I do believe it's about that internal wrestling match that we all have, you know, the good versus the evil, all inside your head. And there you go, the madness.
What's up? This is Keith from Buck Cherry, and you're listening to White Line Fever. Turn that shit up. Okay, uh, welcome back to the program. It's been a few weeks since I did the last one. I want to apologise for that. It's just been pretty busy. Um, before I introduce our guest, I've got to uh, plug a couple of things. Uh, we're on Twitter, WLF Podcast. Uh, we're on uh, Facebook. It's just White Line Fever. And also the site for the website is whitelinefever.ning.com. Please go to uh, iTunes and uh, make a comment, make a request, uh, give us a rating. Uh, helps uh, get us noticed a little bit. So well, um, we are in the back of a car. We are heading towards London and we've been to a European Championship game between Wales and Scotland. And I'm with the, is it Managing Director? Is it, no. What is it? It's the RLEF, the Rugby League European Federation General Manager. General Manager, Danny Kazanjian. How are you, Danny? I'm very good, Steve. How are you? I'm good. Did you enjoy the game tonight? I did. I did. It was a, it was a really close fought game. I think the uh, recent history of the European Championship always conjures up, uh, throws up some very closely fought contests. This was no exception. Congratulations to Wales, first win in several years. And uh, I think everyone who was at the game really enjoyed it. Is it tough with the European Championship, sort of, you're competing with so many other things at this time of year. In Rugby League, you've got the Kiwi Tour and then you've got the Rugby Union World Cup, so many other things uh, going on. Is it hard to sort of get some traction? No, I think on the contrary, I think the European Championship is a is a huge brand. I think it's uh, it's a brand that the game really needs to celebrate and really needs to nurture. I think it can become a commercial success for us. Um, the very fact that this is our 80th edition of the European Championship tells us that there's uh, a legacy and great heritage attached to the competition. And now the European Federation's really focused on making sure that the, the competition gets increased visibility through through broadcast arrangements, um, and that we have a regular place for it in the calendar. Um, okay, a lot of lot of listeners would have read your name and they wouldn't know much about you. So um, why don't we get um, a little bit of background? Um, and your dad and your brother are in the front of the car here, and if you tell any lies, they're going to cough loudly. <laughs> so. Uh, how did you come to have this position in the game? I was born in a village in Halifax and uh, <laughs> I think it was Todd Morton, very famous for alien abductions. <laughs> well, other than that story, there's another one. Uh, from, I'm from North London, from, uh, from Barnet, born and raised in Barnet. Um, just got into rugby league really through um, through watching State of Origin. Um, was waiting with a friend of mine who was uh, Welsh to watch a football game, a World Cup qualifier, and Sky bumped it and put State of Origin on. This was the year when Paul Hoff was fullback for Queensland, I believe 90 or 91. Um, the one series he played, I think, for, for Queensland. And our, jaw, our jaws really hit the floor when we saw Origin. That's what rugby should have been like to us we played rugby union in school and for the, for the county um, and really just got into it and wanted to to play it and learn a bit more about it went to my school rugby practice where my rugby coach was a, a northerner and asked him why we can't play rugby league because it's clearly a much better sport and he said well don't talk to me about that rubbish which piqued my interest even more why would 
why would he say that about just another sport that was clearly fun to play and clearly athletic? So I got reading a little bit about it, and as a, I guess, a, a natural historian myself, someone drawn to the past, um, it intrigued me, um, and I became more and more interested in the sport and more and more passionate about it. And I guess there's that that common phrase about about um, uh, converts becoming uber passionate about their newfound faith and uh, I guess that that really characterises my attachment with the sport and it's been a it's been a, a singular passion of mine ever since and um, you helped start or did maybe are responsible for starting rugby league in, in Lebanon what, what was the connection to Lebanon because we haven't touched on that yet uh, my uh, my father's Armenian but he was uh, born and raised in uh, in Lebanon in Beirut so I was working in the rugby league media I was a producer at uh, of a website uh, just before the uh, 2000 World Cup so when we knew that the Lebanese team were qualified we wanted to do something for them so we met them at the airport with some other Lebanese people and had a bit of a song and dance for them and uh, incidentally they're on the they're on the same flight as the as the New Zealand team and some American tourists were waiting in the foyer with us and they could only think how great the Lebanese team must have been because the New Zealand team traipsed past without any fanfare and in great silence and there was a lot of celebration for the Lebanese team so I think they were, the Lebanese guys were pretty surprised about that and thankful for it and my association with the idea of Lebanese rugby league which certainly was not my idea it was I guess that credit goes to to Johnny Elias and, and his brother George Elias um, but and Anthony uh, and Bluey talk about yeah, Bluey yeah, yeah. Uh, well he's not a rela- he's not a relative but uh, <laughs> his part in the nucleus the kernel of the idea of Lebanese rugby league I can't comment on um, but yes yeah, so I got in touch with them stayed in touch with them and really wanted to get involved in the game and I really had the idea one epiphany really because I was writing about football I was a, a freelance football writer so I could have done that anywhere so I had an idea let, let's go and start rugby league in Lebanon and went out there on a fact finding trip in 2001 met some university heads got speaking to them and uh, said right I'm going to come back and that's what I did and um, and then how did you end up with this job at the RLEF uh, well, I started in Lebanon in two, March 2002 um, and started with the RLEF several years after that in a position that was named the Euro Med Development Director, so looking after nucleus, uh, the, the very uh, nascent Middle East countries, really at that stage there was only Lebanon some uh, flirtations with other Middle Eastern countries without really uh, taking root and of course there was the Mediterranean countries that were also fairly new Um, and in 2010 I moved back to uh, London and um, took over as uh, general manager. And and what is it like what does the job sort of involve like what's your average day you're based in Fitzrovia? Yeah, new, we have a, a, a new office in Fitzrovia that we share with three other organisations, the Rugby League International Federation, the London Rugby League Foundation and the RFL. Um, so since I've been back in London working for the RLEF, we've had several offices, a fairly nomadic existence, but we've, we're in a great part of London now. 
Um, it's a, a really exceptional headquarters for us. We've we've changed the official headquarters of the RLEF from Red Hall to to uh, 20 Fitzroy Square at Company's House. So that is our, our statutory um, address now. Um, as for my day-to-day uh, role. I don't really think you can say there's anything like an average day. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally privileged and honoured to do what I do. Um, it's just a fantastic journey being able to work and interact on a daily basis um, with so many other people from so many different cultures all around the world. I think most listeners will realise that the RLEF is a, is a misnomer, that it's certainly more than a European federation, it's effectively a Northern Hemisphere uh, federation. Um, our focus has really on, been on building participation, working ever so hard on, on governance, which is something that hasn't really been a focus of the, the game in, in, in the, the, the new countries in European Rugby League before 2010, 2011. I think we all understand it's absolutely critical to get the governance right if those individual nations, the associations and federations that run them, and by association the sport is really going to grow. Mm. So I could speak for more time than your podcast allows <laughs> about what uh, my job entails, but really interacting with the, the, the federations. I've seen myself and the European Federation here to serve our members' interests wherever we can, um, uh, Competition, running competitions, uh, oversight on, on governance a lot of paperwork uh, interacting with the European Union a lot um, yeah and just uh, just trying to assist the membership wherever we can okay let's talk about a couple of things that have been in the news recently the coach of Serbia running onto the field and punching an Irish player leading to the abandonment of that game what 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 was the is that matter now settled? Have uh, the disciplinary procedures taken place? Well, what's happened? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, just to be absolutely factual, he was not found guilty of punching. Okay. Um, that could not be proven. Um, it has been concluded. Uh, it's a very difficult time for for Marko Jankovic, the Serbian coach. It's a very difficult time for the Serbian Rugby League Federation. Um, the RLEF disciplinary committee uh, dealt with it with the Serbian Federation officials that were on duty that day. Unfortunately, Marco got um, a, a signed die penalty with no chance of appeal before three years. I think the the positive aspect of the whole incident was the way in which the Serbian Rugby League Federation, which is one of our most proactive most effective um, and most um, respectable organisations dealt with the issue. Certainly not an issue that they had had to deal with in the past um, and one that really put them under the spotlight. They had to manage all of their many stakeholder relationships with, with sponsors, with donors such as the Australian Embassy uh, and I think the ambassador was present at the game and witnessed it and, and left um, due to her disappointment with uh, what had happened. Um, and last but not least, the Serbian sports ministry themselves 
as the Serbian Federation is a member of the, the Serbian Sports Ministry. So as Serbia has made such progress over the last few years, this year has been, in my opinion, really a clear year to, to show the Serbian Federation that they're going on to this next level and that they're being heavily scrutinised and that they need to make sure that every single part of their organisation, not just their club development and their competition development, but their governance, their match official education, their disciplinary proceedings and the way that their board deals with the most unsavoury of subjects is up to scratch. And I think what's really promising is that all of the leadership realise that and have embraced it and the Serbian Federation is going to be a better organisation because of it. So Marko Jankovic has been, is it a life ban with no chance of appeal inside three years or is it a three year ban? I'm not a Latin uh, (laughs) native speaker but I think sign die means without end. So the judgement was without end but with no chance of appeal before three years. So. Marco will have the opportunity to um, make a submission to the European Federation and I would, I would suspect that the first port of call for him would be the Serbian Federation um, to suggest that he's a reformed character and that he's served his, his penalty and that he deserves a second chance. Okay, now more recently we had Greece um, forfeiting a World Cup qualifier um, that's got to be hugely disappointing. Yeah, it was. It was really disappointing. Um, the the European Federation um, funds these competitions. We understand that the grant that we give does not cover every penny of expenses associated with running a team in this competition. Um, we do know that the Greece has been hit harder than most. Or all European countries with uh, with the economic, the well documented economic distresses that it's that it's suffering from, and that clearly played a huge part in this. If you ask the Greek Federation if they would have liked to have handled this differently, if they would have liked to have informed us perhaps a little bit earlier, and certainly the Maltese perhaps a little bit earlier, I'm sure they would say yes, but. I think in their defence, they were doing everything they could to get the match on. They were seeking sponsors. I don't think they wanted to let anybody down at all. But at the end of the day, a match, as you rightly say, that has a close uh, a link with the with the World Cup qualifiers hasn't taken place, and that and that is hugely disappointing. So, um, is that that matter is not settled yet as far as what the result, you know, what the ramifications of that, that that's, that's undetermined at this point? Well, the, the result itself has been determined by the European Federation Board. They met um, immediately after um, Greece pulled out and the, uh, the board decided that having considered the evidence they had at the time, it would be appropriate to award the match 30-0 to Malta. However, we are still in the midst of an internal inquiry which we're dealing with the Hellenic Federation on and if there are any other um, elements of that report that require the European Federation Board to to make further sanctions or rulings then it will do but that inquiry is still ongoing. Right, I mean have you, just generally speaking, I mean I think 
rugby league fans seem to, seem, on international football seem to fall into two groups. One group is um, it's dramatically uh, under-resourced and underappreciated, and the other group think it's a waste of time. I, have you noticed that the first group is, is sort of gaining more sway with the passage of time, and the second group maybe is, uh, is growing quieter? Have you noticed any, any, any trends... Um, either from an anecdotal point of view, just talking to fans, or, or from indeed at an official level, that the, that the international rugby league's importance is um, being recognised more or less. Are there areas where that remain frustrating to you? Or what, what are your thoughts? Well, I have to, I have to admit that I don't really know anyone in the second camp. Right. I don't really know anybody that that dismisses international football outright. I'm sure there must be people like that, but I would say the the vast majority of people understand the importance of an international dimension to any sport um, for for many different reasons, be that a performance pathway, be that visibility, be that um, government links and, and the opportunity to really join the international community of sport, which wouldn't be available without that international dimension. So I think that on the International Federation front, the fact that the organisation has had its first chief executive appointed fairly recently is a testament to its ambition. It's a marker that that organisation is going to become something far more formidable, more robust, more active, and to really perform a leadership role globally for the sport, something that until now would have been assumed by national federations which clearly isn't the most desired outcome for the sport so I, th- I think we're living in a, a clearly more globalised world when it comes to viewership when it comes to uh, sports themselves the need to make rugby league more popular to more people around the world um, is, is absolutely recognised by uh, the people in charge of the game at the highest levels um, and I think having a, a, a standalone international federation that's looking to increase visibility and revenue um, throughout the world uh, will, will result in the international game going from strength to strength. We've had a World Cup, as is well documented, since '54. We've not had a striving functional international federation for that long. That is, that is changing um, rapidly, um, and I think that will... Uh, that will come with uh, a commensurate uh, level of, of, of change to the, the, the size and the, the depth of the sport in various places around the world. Some of, some of the work that's happening in various countries and regions is exemplary um, and the fact that we're able to continue growing is a testament to all the people who, who work in those federations and those regions uh, looking to push the sport and getting behind the International Federation which is going to have a um, a first genuine congress in Europe that I can remember in in November um, this year going to be a, a, attended by over 20 countries again that's a marker that the International Federation really wants to assume this leadership role so it's an exciting time coming ahead of us. Before we go give us a, a bit of a glimpse into the future Danny like what are some of the things that you'd like to see you know, specifically in place, maybe in five years or ten years or fifteen years. What, what are some of the what, what's on your wish list? I'm I'm massively boring. 
Um, I, I really believe in generational change. I really believe in organic growth. I really believe that if we as a sport are looking for silver bullets and for headlines that are going to solve all of our ills, it's not going to work like that. What we really need to do is stick to what we've been doing within the confines of our own uh, confederation in, in Europe, high quality education, in match officiating, in coaching, advice on competition administration, really promoting the idea of creating community clubs, creating community and domestic competitions, because any sport's only going to be as strong as its clubs. Um, and if we keep if we keep promoting those areas of the sport while policing and regulating good governance and best practice within our national federations, then they'll become self-sufficient. They'll gradually become more confident and more capable. And through those national federations, the game is going to grow. It's going to become a part of the sporting landscape in their own countries. It's going to, they're going to be, those federations will be recognised by their own sports ministries and National Olympic committees. Um, will then, in the foreseeable future, I hope, be uh, a member of the, the IOC. We had started a long uh, process to become uh, part of the Sport Accord. Um, we're now looking to join the International Olympic Committee. And once we've achieved, achieved that, um, then we'll be legitimately on the international in the international world of sport and be able to operate like all these other sports do on the international scale. So that's what I want to see, us joining Omni Sports Organisation with an increasingly uh, self-sufficient, stable and confident group of national federations leading the way. OK, two really specific questions. I know I said the last question was a lot. <laughs> what is the time frame for being accepted by the IOC and the question everyone asks me when are we going to get an international calendar for the next you know uh, decade or we were supposed to get one for 12 years in advance or something yeah. um, how far away is that two, two very specific questions I'll answer the second one first David Collier's been working uh, very hard with uh, the various stakeholders on the international calendar I think the first draft of that calendar may be presented to membership um, in Paris next month um, and as for the uh, second question, we are in discussion at the moment with the IOC. I'm not sure how closely you followed the incidents that followed the Sport Accord General Assembly earlier this year, but the President Visor of Sport Accord resigned and Sport Accord had assumed the, uh, the role of uh, the, the, the membership clearinghouse, if you will, for international federations around the world. Now that Sport Accord ran into, ran into some problems, it shifted the, uh, the focus of, of uh, international federation regulation uh, back to the IOC. So we're in discussion with the IOC at the moment and uh, we're, we're pursuing that. We understand how important it is for the sport and that is a singular aim of the international federation. Danny, thank you. And thanks for the lift. I really had a lot of fun tonight, even though it was a, it was a long journey up there, wasn't it? It was. It was. <laughs> Anytime. And um, 
uh, listeners, uh, don't forget to go to wildlifefever.ning.com and if you hit the Amazon button, you shop on Amazon, uh, it doesn't cost you any more, but I get a little bit of a percentage. And also, even better, hit the donate button and donate like 400,000 euros. Uh, okay, here's some more music. We'll be back with, uh, with some more interviews.
Okay, Sorry. welcome back to the program. And uh, it's, the All second, right. it's the second part of our interview uh, with uh, Marcus uh, from Halloween. Marcus, um, over the years, you know, the band had, I know you've had a very stable lineup now for a while, but you, um, you know, there's been a few, quite a few fellas in the band over the years going back to the mid-80s. I just wondered... Yeah, uh, I know them all by name. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You can remember all the names. <laughs> it was a two, cool, part, two parts of my question. Well, the first part is, I mean, are you still in touch with everybody? Is everybody still on good terms? Yeah, well, I just recently, I, we, we shared a flight with... I shared a flight, uh, a plane flight with uh, uh, Michael Kiske. We had a nice talk. We had a nice chat. We had a good laugh. There's no, like bad feelings anymore after all those years I was like it was like fun sitting right next to him and telling him what we are going to do and he was telling me what he's going to do in life situations and with his plans and all that it was just like easy you know Kai is there we, we had like a couple of tours together in Europe and that was very very cool even in South America we hang out together and play and you know it's just like very easy I saw Roland on a festival and we had a nice chat. There's no big story anymore, you know. All those things happened in the past was just like gone. Everybody would like to have like a nice uh, life without problems. It yeah. seems to be like this. Yeah, <laughs> and you... if we see each other, we share a beer, we shake hands. It's nice. It's easy, you know. Yeah, you you have been constant now. You you know for the for the thirty years without without a break. Um, but a lot of bands sort of cash in on the reunion thing, don't they? They actually make money from doing nothing for a few years because then they get more money when they get back together. <laughs> do you ever do you ever kind of think you could have been a bit more cynical and maybe just sort of gone away and then had a big reunion, made a big deal of it and uh, and tried to cash in? Well, I don't know. There's no such plans, you know, but as we all you never say never, but we don't talk about it now because we're running into the next Halloween tour and then we see what happened. I mean, we play with Kai, he comes on stage from time to time and if we tour with Gamma Ray, he's on stage at the end of the show anyway. Mm. And we don't have such plans, but you know, I don't know what future. Yeah, helps. yeah, yeah. Tell us, at any point did you fear that there might be a breakup, that, that maybe the band wouldn't continue? Uh, well, with Halloween, well, there will always be Halloween as they are now, I guess. Yeah, I, but I mean, I, in the past, going back, at any times when there when there were some lineup changes, did you think, well, maybe you know, this isn't going to continue, you know? Uh, well, we we have the feeling there's going to be a big change, and people probably, uh, some of them or a lot of them are probably like complaining that this lineup was their kind of favorite lineup, and it's going to be different now. But you know what you're going to do? It's not up to yourself when things are going wrong and things are going in a totally different direction from from what you uh, thought it's going to be, you know. But you have to make changes, and you have to have the guts to make sometimes also cruel decisions to keep the band going, you know. Mm. I mean, we, we never were scared about it. It's It's weird. It's sometimes really tough to make those decisions but as you also run run a, a working business with a band mm. you know you have to make decisions and to to keep that business going as well because it feeds all of us you know yes. and then you stop thinking about all right if you're going to do it like if there's like a crack in the company you've got to fix it somehow with some decisions to make yeah. and it's not only fun and rock and roll drinking and having a party it's also about <laughs> Keeping keeping the whole thing 
uh, together, you know, and that means you have to make some not hard to know orientated decisions from time to time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's but, never sorry. we're scared of. You know? We just were interested to keep the the, the band as Halloween uh, that to keep that trademark going with with in in the direction we we like we want it to go. You know. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it's time for another song, Marcus. What 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 shall we play next? And is there a story behind that song? Yeah, just play just like some Lost in America. I think it's a great tune. It re represents Halloween, I guess, very good. And, well, that that's actually a true story. Got got stuck on the airport, you know, for hours and hours and hours, <laughs> almost <laughs> missing the show and all that, you know, a life of a musician hanging around in the airport, drinking too much beer, and then because of too many hours waiting, 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 you know. I'm a professional waiting boy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. 
Wildlife, this is Marcus, the bass beater from Halloween, and you're listening to White Line Fever, and stay tuned, I like it. Welcome back to the program, and uh, we've just lined up the Angels, and we've got Nick Norton here, and uh, Nick, what are, you've been on tour in Europe and Scandinavia with the Angels for the first time, what have the rooming arrangements been? Uh, has everyone, uh, you, you had to share a room with people? Uh, no, we had hotels for the first two gigs, but we're all in a big house at the moment, and I'm sleeping in a room with Dave Gleeson. <laughs> And uh, it smells like wet dog. <laughs> I don't know why, but uh, it's, I think it's just, you know, clo- the clothes are old and soaked with sweat. But uh, we're, we're big, friendly men, and we're getting on famously with each other. <laughs> now, when I f- saw you guys in Tasmania in a cafeteria, and you first mentioned that this was on, it seemed hard to envisage. Um, how, was, how was it sort of measured up to your expectations and your preconceptions? Oh, it's... Uh, Everything you'd expect it to be—it's it's, it's brilliant, it's amazing. I mean, it, I can't believe that you know the Angels are in Scandinavia and Europe after 34 years, and I'm doing it with them. You know, it's like it's ridiculous. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. a lifetime. It's my lifetime. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 35 years, you know, and here we are. So what have your experiences been with uh, um, the fans you've encountered? Obviously, there's some very hardcore rock fans in, in this part of the world. Absolutely, we just had some people from Norska here, Norway, and they're crying currently. So that's. Uh, <laughs> And uh, they're treating me like I've been in the band for 41 years, which I have not. Uh, but uh, it's, it's brilliant. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's unbelievable. You know, it's all around the world. There's angel fans like this. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of strange, but uh, it's pretty special to be part of it. Do you get the impression that maybe you'll be visiting more of those fans in future? I'm sure we will. I mean, I, I can't see why we couldn't come back every year now. I mean, it sounds, you know, onwards and upwards. I'm, I'm always for, you know, that kind of thing. And, and uh, I think, we, I mean, we could easily do it. It's just a case of, you know, getting the logistics together and making it happen, you know. Yeah, yeah. Where there's a will, there's a way. I mean, there's a fucking market here for it, so we can yeah. come back as often as we wanted, you know. And um, you got any funny stories that you can repeat? <laughs> Oh, shit. Um, Usually festival stories actually do involve shit somewhere. <laughs> that's right, that's right. No, no I mean, well, there's, um, there's been... A, uh, we've, we've been unusually uh, in each other's face the last <laughs> last week, so there's been uh, probably a bit more friction than there would normally be. And keep in mind, there are three family members in this band, so yeah, yeah, yeah. normally family members uh, get a little bit... Um, heated when uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You get like father like son that kind of thing yeah, you know yeah, yeah, although yeah. the brothers tend to just keep out of each other's way although I saw an altercation or two but um, <laughs> nah but we're, we're all good we, we make it work we get on with each other when you go home to Brizzy um, do, do all your buddy all your friends know you the drummer and the angels like does it does it have the gravitas that these people out here think it should or you know? um, yeah well because Sam's friends are like too young to know who the angels are yeah. Some of them. Yeah, yeah. well I, I, um, in Sydney yeah, well, because I'm from Sydney originally, they, they all, uh, yeah, friends there say, mate, do you realise, do you ever think about the fact you're in the Angels? And, <laughs> and I, I'm like, well, you know, when I first got the gig, it just seemed like a really good gig. It was like, yeah, this yeah. is the best gig you could ever get. This is cool. I'm, you know, drumming sort of with the Angels, but then yeah. at some point, maybe six months in a year, and I'm like, actually, I'm not drumming with the Angels, I'm drumming in the Angels. Mm-hmm. And I write songs with them and sing on, with them and play drums with them and tour with them it's like well hang on I think I'm in the band you know so <laughs> see my um, so I was like yeah this is uh, this is the real deal and, and occasionally you do stuff and go hang on fuck I'm in the band like I'm in yeah. the angels what the hell <laughs> but uh, yeah it must have been gratifying to see Talk to Talk go down so well in that crowd it was one of the best responses and I guess at home people are 
pre-wired that oh the new songs I'm going to go to the loop you know but yeah, but yeah. here everyone takes it on its merits you know yeah, yeah yeah there's something about that riff I think Rick's riff just, yeah yeah it's awesome people just hear it and go think it's an old song or think it's a classic Angels hit mm. and uh, just it just works that riff I'm always a bit like oh should we pull that one out to the festival crowd you know because yeah. uh, we should just play all the classics but we play it and it goes down it's like oh I think we I think they never knew it went down they just probably think it's a classic anyway you yeah, know? yeah, so, yeah 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 throw it in there and maybe one or two other new ones although on these gigs you know probably can't get away with more than maybe two brand yeah. new brand new songs you know yeah. was that a genuine encore or was it a pre-planned uh, well it actually was an encore because we we always play way more than we, we yeah. should and we always uh, have much more music than we need mm. but we just uh, I think we were keen to stay under the you know the mm-hmm. the Scandinavians like things efficient yeah, and yeah, organised yeah, yeah, and on yeah. time and we weren't we weren't allowed to play over time so we we were ready to we just smashed through it and you know we play with a lot of punk sort of energy because yep. it's a new crowd and uh but it was it was i mean i think we came at 20 minutes short like fuck we better play some more songs yeah, yeah, you know yeah. so uh we played a 20 minute encore and it was fine and, and they were still asking for more we could have played a second encore but... it sounds like you're gonna have to keep your passport up to date in future years yeah yeah i hope so i hope so yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh next time we can actually i'll just i'll just do the booking of all the plane tickets instead of john <laughs> and you know that that way we were uh, we can fly home in a day instead of two days. Oh, really? What'd you come via where? <laughs> uh, we were, uh, uh, all over the shop. <laughs> no, 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 we, yeah, it's, it's, we'll be, I reckon we'll be back every year. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So, have a good night tonight, Nick. Thank you, sir. Cheers, yeah. Steve. Well, this is off our, uh, our last album, T-I-T-T-S. Thank you very much. Take it to the streets. You wake up in the morning and you feel all kind of hungover. Blame us. It's Friday night. A good night for vampires. Taylor Lautner as a werewolf.
Uh-huh. Got a white line fever. Going to land down under. Going to turn around the corner way down yonder. <laughs> but I'm not even going to try to rhyme anymore. <laughs> Michael Monroe here for White Line Fever. You get a chance, come and check us out live. We're going to rock your socks off and whatever, rock like fuck. That's what I say, okay? <laughs> come on down and rock on.